is Ryan Stacy, and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by My Hockey Resource and Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm joined by Mike Tarantino, General Manager with the Collingwood Blues. Mike is a well-known coach and manager in the OJHL, having worked in hockey operations with multiple organizations. Seeing success with numerous programs, he offers a lot of great advice and brings a different element with his teaching background as well. Without further ado, here's Mike Tarantino, General Manager with the Collingwood Blues. At this point in the season, hockey fans can't wait for playoff hockey to start with its rivalries, added intensity, and ultimate quest for the cup. But if you look into basketball and in the month of March, you know that the tournament is finally here. The brackets have been set and the teams are ready to hit the court. And DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy, is celebrating with their largest free college basketball survival pool ever. How large? $1 million in total prizes up for grabs. And if that's not enough, check this out. When you enter the free DraftKings $1 million survivor pool, you could get a shot at winning $10,000 for every upset through the first two rounds of the tournament. It's easy to play. Just pick one team per day. If they win, you survive and advance to the next round. Last person standing is the winner. Remember, you can only pick a team once for the entire tournament, so choose wisely. DraftKings is a safe and secure app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Get in on all this week's action and download the DraftKings app now. Enter code THPN during sign-up and enter the free $1 million survivor pool. Again, that is code THPN to enter into DraftKings' free $1 million survivor pool. Eligibility restrictions and terms and conditions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Mike Tarantino, General Manager with the Collingwood Blues. Mike, thanks for joining the podcast. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm glad to get you on here. And some people may have seen that we had a quick interaction there on Twitter, but it was funny enough that I had you on the short list of people I was going to approach here in the next couple of weeks. So um, just kind of sped up the process. But let's, uh, let's get to learn about you a little bit and kind of hear a bit about your story. So just start off by talking about your upbringing, playing sports in your early years, and giving people a background on who you are. Yeah, no, okay, well, uh, I mean, nothing too exciting here. Um, I, I grew up in Oakville. Uh, I played for the Oakville Rangers minor hockey all the way up, and then moved on uh, and played junior for, for the Oakville Blades. Um, after a couple of years there, uh, I actually went to school. Uh, I didn't age out. I went in after my 19-year-old year. You know what? It's funny because looking back on it, it's one of those things. If I uh, would have played my my twenty year old year, what would have happened or, or something like that? But need to say, then went into RIT uh, at the time. RIT is now a Division One program. When I went in there, it was Division Three. Uh, had a, a great four years there, um, playing and, and getting my education, and, uh, and we had we had a good club. Uh, we lost the, the national championship in two thousand one. Um, and, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, and then after that, uh, I always kind of had the bug for, for coaching in, in hockey. Uh, at the time growing up, I wasn't sure if I wanted to make it a career or not. Uh, I kind of was the fallback on uh, in teaching because to me, those two kind of go hand in hand a little bit. Uh, and my coach at RIT was Wayne Wilson, who played and actually coached at Bowling Green. Uh, and he was the captain there when they won the national championship. Uh, so during my my four years playing for them, you know, I kind of you know, they always kind of say, "What do you want to do?" And I express interest in that, and uh, I moved over to Bowling Green where I got my MBA, and and really got into the the college side of it. So I was a, a grad assistant coaches. Uh, it's one way people get started in, in that uh, in that career in that profession. Uh, you volunteer, you learn the ropes. Uh, you might as well get an, an, another degree while you're at it. So um, I did that, um, a lot of fun, got to learn a lot. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, it was quite the experience being on the other side of it. 
Um, you know, there's a, there were a few guys on that team that ended up, uh, you know, the up and down guys, uh, like Sigalag who played in the AHL and uh, my Matsumoto. Bieksa uh, was just the year before I got there. Um, well, actually, coincidentally, I played junior against him and one of his good buddies I played college with. So I missed out on, on I guess, I want to call it coaching or whatever that. Um, and then I was going to get into that as a career. But uh, the, the one thing that, uh, you know, maybe people involved in hockey realize this, uh, but people not so, you know, who do it as a hobby don't. It really, if you're going to put yourself through hockey as a career, it really is a grind. Uh, there's a lot of sacrifices, no different than any other sport. Uh, when I learned um, more about the, the college system and how it operates, uh, you know, those guys moving across the country, uh, you know, chasing a dream, uh, the recruiting every weekend. Uh, there's not a draft like you have a major junior. So, uh, and if you're an assistant coach, you could be, you could be on the road, you know, 40, 45 weekends a year, right? Like, it, it, it's a massive commitment. And uh, in all honesty, uh, I'm a little bit more of a family-oriented person. And I, I just didn't think that was really the, the point where I wasn't willing to sacrifice, I guess you would say. Um, uh, and kudos to those guys uh, that, that do it. Um, so I, I kind of had a little change of heart, came back. Uh, that's where I got hooked up with Milton uh, Ice Hawks at the time, which had a good program. So I jumped in there as, a, as an assistant coach. Um, I was 25 years old, young, right? Uh, that kind of thing. I remember we had uh, we had Tavares AP for us. So I remember Tavares actually lived, lived, lived uh, pretty close to where I grew up. So at the time I went back home with my family. So I remember driving him home a couple of times because he was 15 uh, at the time. And uh, you know, he wouldn't remember any of this stuff, but I remember the kid being 15 years old and I just finished coming from college hockey. And at the, at the time, a good buddy of mine, Rob Kempisinski, was playing at Brown and, and he was going to go play pro, like down in the you know, East Coast, that kind of thing. And so he was skating with us. Um, and I watched Tavares at 15 years old, you know, basically hold the puck off this 24-year-old guy who was going to go play in the East Coast. And, and I remember just amazed, right? Because... I, you know, you hear all these things, uh, and, and uh, but that, I'll never forget that because it's just one of those things I noticed and you don't really tell anybody about it, but you're just like, holy crap, I can't believe that just happened. Uh, another funny story with that team, we had Gulabeff, Cody Gulabeff, who's, uh, you know, won a gold medal there with the gold juniors. He's, uh, he's playing the NHL, he's playing the A. Um, he was on that team. We actually had P.K. Subban signed as well, um, which uh, another story with that is uh, – well, PK was a six-round pick to, to Belleville. So as a six-round pick to the OHL as a 16-year-old, you don't necessarily expect him to make the team. You know, maybe after a year, but not right out of camp. So we had him signed. And our two 16-year-olds were defensemen at the time were, again, Gulabeff and, and Subban. And then uh, PK made, uh, made Belleville as a 16-year-old, which, in all honesty, was a, we thought we had him. So I did that for a couple of years. And like anything else, uh, that team eventually got sold um, uh, I went back to minor hockey with Mississauga reps and uh, coaching that team. Uh, that was my first experience of being a head coach and, you know, uh, learning the ropes on, on that. And uh, was fortunate enough, I, I can't remember if it was my third year or something, I figured out how to kind of recruit and what type of style you want to play. You know, you're, you're a young guy, you're, you're learning. And, and we put together a pretty good club. Uh, ended up having the younger Subban Malcolm be our goaltender that year uh, and he turned out to be pretty good he was actually here's another one he was actually cut in midget so he was he was he was drafted but he got cut and I had two goalies signed uh, a kid named Alistair White made junior A in like late August so I'm looking for a goalie and uh, I get a call from Carl saying hey you know my, I don't know if you remember I'm like yeah you know I remember PK right PK was kind of you know making a name for himself in, in, in junior, excuse me, major junior. And uh, so he brought up uh, Malcolm, who I guess was two years into being bully and uh, he was just super athletic and, and made our team. I mean, literally the last kid to make our team. And uh, again, I had lucky that we had a spot and you know, he got unfortunately let go, but it worked out. And, and we went to the, to the, went up winning Ontario and went, went to the TELUS Cup, uh, the National Midget Championship Final. 
And uh, we lost 3-2 uh, to Notre Dame Hounds, which at that time had Morgan Riley and Stefan Matou and Slater Cuckoo. Uh, I think I think Cuckoo's on Edmonton there. So, uh, and, and, you know, it was quite the experience. Uh, actually, I still talk to those kids. Those kids were born in, uh, it shows you how old I'm getting now, but those guys were born in 93. 92-93 was the year of birth. The, the year was uh, 2010. And uh, after that, got the... Bernie Anglo uh, hired me as the head coach of the Upper Canada Patriots. Uh, again, younger guy, 27 or 28 at the time. And I brought a lot of those minor hockey games there. And then about a month into the season, Bernie actually stepped down and resigned uh, for personal family stuff. So Kevin O'Connor, who owned the team, said, do you want to be GM as well? <laughs> you know, so I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, <laughs> why not? So, uh, just got thrown into the fire. Um, and, and, you know, we built a, what time here, we built a team there. Uh, we ended up winning uh, Jason Fortier and myself, who, who I hired in my last year there because uh, my daughter was born. And, and, and we, you know, we put together a team and, and won, which was, which was really nice. Um, the year I took back from the year as the GM only, uh, you miss coaching, right? Uh, it, it really does. So, um, I, I lived in Oakville. I taught high school in Oakville. So uh, Rob Campbell uh, approached me to see if I was interested in, in, uh, in coaching with the place. And in all honesty, it's probably one of the only teams I could have done it uh, at the time there with the young child and, uh, and where I worked. And, uh, you know, my, my, my wife was, was supportive and okay with that. And I took that job and I was there for the last five years. And, Gonna have we had another child and we were two girls who were seven and five and playing hockey. And uh, the last year there, when Jamie bought the team, um, you know, he he wanted the, the coach there. And you know what? Again, I was kind of like, okay, let's give this a shot, right? Let's let's give this uh, behind the scenes thing a shot again. And I did, and um, it was fine. Um, I, I do think it makes a little bit more sense given my lifestyle right now with the two young kids and running them around and, and uh, uh, kind of letting them you know, be kids really, right? Uh, your parents sacrifice a lot to, for, for you and my parents sacrificed a lot for me growing up. And, and then I got a call from, uh, from Dave there uh, with kind of a u- unique opportunity in Collingwood and uh, decided to make the switch. And, and in all honesty, um, it, it the, the program that I'm a part of now is, is uh, and I don't want to pump it up too much. I mean, that's why I'm not, I'm not here for that. But um, it, we're allowed to do things uh, a little bit differently in the sense that, um, you know, it, we're basically, and we probably have 30 people who work with this organization. And, you know, uh, we get full control of the rink, daytime ice. Uh, Rob Bentevinia, who I coached with the last two years, and really good young coach. Because uh, you know that's his full time job, and um, you know I see all that a major junior, but really that's what we we are. We're, we're basically a small market major junior team or NCAA team in, in terms of the access we have um, to the facilities and, and off ice and uh, you know educational advisors and, and the list goes on and on and on. Um, so it, it's pretty it's pretty exciting to be part of that, um, and obviously we have some some great people that I'm working with here um, uh, part of our team and uh, coaching staff are, are behind the scenes and uh, you know it's it's we're looking forward to it and, and it's going to be exciting so and uh, we'll, you know, my wife likes calling when we got engaged up there so there's a little time with some friends and family as well that uh, that makes it uh, not that people probably don't want to know really is, uh, is really it so uh, and we'll see right uh, this is it's a lot of fun right uh, hockey at this level uh, you know I've kind of made the, the decision um, at least for the time being not to make hockey like uh, my, my full-time thing uh, as much as it really is a full-time thing anytime that uh, I'm not at, at school here teaching I'm, I'm basically on the phone or on zoom calls or, or doing uh, stuff like that but um, and saying that it, it allows you to kind of scratch that itch uh, but also balance the, the family life and stuff like that and, and you know one thing I will say is for those for those coaches and those guys who um, sacrifice so much and I, and I know all the OHL coaches do and the NCAA coaches do um, 
you know, for every for every Sheldon Keith, right, who's done excellent now coaching the NHL. There's a lot of guys that are, you know, still grinding away and sacrificing and that. So uh, when you see some of them succeed, it's, uh, you know, part of it's like, well, you know, if I would have tried that, but then you, you revert back to the, the fact that those guys sacrificed a ton to get where they are. And the honest truth is uh, at the time, I wasn't willing to make those sacrifices. So, uh, you know, I always uh, tip my hat to, to those guys, the amount of work and effort they put in. And uh, I don't think, the average person knows the sacrifices that those those um, coaches or GMs or managers make on, for those those programs. So uh, that, that's kind of the that's not really the Coles notes. I kind of ran you through it pretty good, but uh, uh, that's kind of my background there from from start to, to finish. One of the things that you mentioned there was the fact that coaches have a, a lot of sacrifices to make a lot of times in junior and you see it at the major junior NCAA level and then up to the pro levels. And, you know, you made that transition from the NCAA and then came back to the OJHL. And just looking at that first position there with Milton, you're definitely a young coach kind of coming into a new situation. Uh, you know, what was that experience like in terms of the learning curve associated with that role? And, um, you know, for others listening who might be looking at a similar path, what can you just say in terms of advice for approaching that position? Well, I was fortunate uh, in that position that I got to learn from a, a couple of veteran coaches. Uh, the first one was George DuPont, um, who's down uh, coaching in the U.S. right now. He's coach pro and, and everything there. And the other one actually was Joe Washbrook. Uh, who I knew when I was a kid, uh, coincidentally, and he's coaching Mississauga uh, right now. Um, it, it, it's funny, like there's there's a lot of aspects of coaching. Um, the the toughest adjustment or the toughest thing to learn for coaching is game management. Uh, you can you know you can run practices and you can do video and scouting. But when you're talking about split second decisions and hunches, uh, even, you know, line changes, like when to change, a, you know, a, a line's been on for 25 seconds and, and to read uh, the opponent's line, who you think's coming up next. Now you could wait if you have home ice, you could, you could wait, obviously. Um, uh, your own D pairing, some D and certain forward lines work better. Uh, and just kind of what line even to go back with. Uh, you know, how much to, to run your top guys versus how much to run certain other lines. That is, for better lack of words, that's that's just learning from doing. Like you get thrown in the fire and uh, and you got to you gotta kind of learn that by either being an assistant coach uh, or, or being, um, you know, just kind of being a coach on the, on the bench. I remember the first time I was in charge of, of changing the lines. Uh, I'll tell you right now, that was that was nerve wracking. Because, you know, everybody's waiting for your decision and you got to be on um, as, a, you know, and I, I was fortunate enough that that at that time I had veteran coaches with me. So they gave me that responsibility. And then, you know, for whatever reason, sometimes I get overruled and that happens. Uh, but that was a, a real big learning curve. Um, and then the other side of it is is making sure uh, that all the players on your team feel valued, right? And, and understand that because uh, those to me are the, are the toughest things to, to learn. Um, that's a, the value thing is just treating players with respect and communication and, and making sure that, you know, a lot of problems that you, that you may encounter from coaching is just communication or lack thereof. So if you're always communicating with your players, uh, I, I find that you can nip a lot of those in the bud. And if you're supporting those decisions with, with facts, uh, analytics to an extent, video, rather than your own kind of hunches, although that is part of the game, right? Like I remember talking to some players there to be like, you know, how come you went with this guy or over this guy? Or, or you know, how come and I, I just honestly, I tell them, but like, you know what, I had a hunch, go right or wrong, I had a hunch and listen, you like to be wrong, uh, right more often than you're wrong, but we've all made poor decisions. But when you make one, you want your kids, in my opinion, you want your players to, to respect you. I've gone up to guys and, and I said, you know what? I watched that game back. Should have played you more, right? I've literally told kids that. And uh, and they appreciate it. I said, I can't go back in time. And I'm not going to, you know, 
reward you this game based on that. But I just want you to know, keep doing what you're doing. And I noticed it. And uh, unfortunately, you didn't get the um, rewarded for it that game, right? So it, those are things that are that are tough. And everybody has their own coaching style, right? When somebody says, oh, you know, old school or new school or this or that, uh, you just got to find your own. Uh, and, uh, you know, you've heard this before, like I steal from everybody, right? But that's no different than everybody else, right? Like literally every person that I've lost to, I've stole something from, right? Anything that, uh, it's just the way it is. So you steal it, uh, you tweak it, or, and then you, you kind of make it yours. And, you know, and then when you see the guy, be like, hey, I totally stole that off you. Right. And they laugh and that's it. And then they, they usually they say, well, I stole this off you. And you end up sharing, right. Uh, all that kind of stuff. But for the young coaches, uh, the toughest thing is that in-game management. And the only way you can learn it is a trial by fire kind of thing. And uh, hopefully you have some veteran uh, coaches there to help ease you into it. And uh, it'll, it'll, it'll come like it, it really does it that that's it. I don't care what level you played or anything like that. Running the bench in a high stress situation. Like you can just imagine, you know, in the yeah. playoffs, like we live, you know, where I live in GTA, like Sheldon Keefe put, makes a bad decision. He puts out one guy over another guy. Why do you have this guy out here? Not this guy. Like these are split second decisions and hunches that, you know, looking, looking back, uh, on it, it's easy to say that oh, it was the wrong decision. But uh, as long as you're right, more often than not, uh, you're doing a good job. Yeah, for sure. And that can definitely be daunting for a young coach trying to be in that situation. But as you said, it can definitely help with some veteran coaches. And another thing you talked about there was having your players trust and respect. And uh, from my experience and what I've seen and uh, a little bit of coaching I've done is that's a very important factor with parents and players at the younger levels and. You had a brief experience there where you were able to go in with the Mississauga reps and um, do some AAA work. And, you know, for a lot of coaches, usually you'll go from AAA to junior, but you had the opportunity to do it the other way and kind of take some things that you were doing in junior and apply it to the AAA level. Maybe how different was it this time working in AAA with that junior experience? And did it kind of change the way that you approached uh, coaching at that level? Uh, it does uh, in, in a bit. Uh... I, well, I actually did the U18 uh, like a year and a half ago now with uh, with the Oakville Rangers team as well, um, which really was 10 years in between uh, that uh, that midget or U18 age. Um, you're, you're again, you're always going to take things from minor to junior and from junior to minor, and you're taking the things that you think will translate well and uh, and adapt. Um, some of the stuff with uh, some of the stuff with junior, at least with our team, like we have we have a video coach, right? So Cole Crane, who does our video, and he breaks it down. Now there's those programs like Instad and Iceberg, and they're excellent. And, and Cole actually uses Steva, but he's so good at it that he cuts everything down to you know each of the the players have you know their shifts after the game, so they could go home and, and watch their entire you know let's say a kid played every third shift. Well, it's 20 minutes, right? You can watch your entire game in 20 minutes. So, um, so you do that, but then we'll, we'll break it down into, you know, turnovers. So we might, we might watch a clip on turnovers or puck protection or, or back checking pressure or net drives and uh, uh, having those resources um, at any level and just the ability where you can watch video. So that's what you run into minor hockey. If you don't have your own dress room, where, where are you watching some of that stuff, right? I remember with that reps team, we'd go to a house, went to one of my parents' houses and we'd watch video. We were pizza and we, we watched some video. Uh, and uh, it's kind of funny looking back on it now. At that time, I was, didn't think anything of it, but this day and age, you know, I haven't done that in, you know, since that year, since you know, it's 2010, I guess. Um, and uh, so now it's, uh, it's just having those, having those resources there. The, the practice times, obviously, junior, we skate every day. We have skills ice uh, during the day, like with, with Collingwood. Minor hockey, you don't have as much ice time. So you have to manage how much, uh, you know, how much are you working on individual skill development versus team, team structure and, and special teams and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, again, that, that's what it comes down to, right? Because 
I, I always, it's always, uh, you know, two steps forward, one step back. Right? So as you get better at something, you're like, oh, we got it down. Then you add something else to the new, to the fold. Well, then it's almost like you got worse at the thing you were just good at. Right. So it's, you know, it's, it's literally that process. You, you get, you know, you get, you get good at something, you, you add something else to the fold that you get almost a little bit worse at what you were good at. And then you, you just keep building. So it's, uh, you know, that you, as long as you're trending upward, um, and you keep adding new things and you know, that that's what keeps it fresh too, for the kids. Right. Because the, you know, if you, if you introduce everything, uh, right at the beginning, uh, they're going to get complacent. They're going to get bored. So you got to keep challenging them and keep adding new stuff. And, uh, and then you'll let them struggle through it learn, uh, you know, and, uh, and you keep building again. I, I can't express it more than that two steps forward, one step back kind of saying that. Yeah, the constant evolution and just working on new skills. And a lot of times um, that on ice development can kind of be transferred to off ice as well in terms of management. And uh, in your position with the Toronto Patriots, you kind of talked about going in as a coach and, and quickly you found yourself working in the general manager role as well. You know, while it was maybe a different experience for you, just talk about the learning curve in that role and um, maybe how that kind of set you up for positions in management with the blades and obviously now in Collingwood. Yeah, no, that's, that's uh, the first, I remember the first month of GM when I went to a GM meeting, right? Obviously I was uh, the youngest guy in the room and I didn't know anybody and I literally just sat there, right? Took the notes, uh, did everything there. And, uh, uh, you know, it was the, the new kid slash young kid on the block. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I look like an easy target when it came to maybe some trades or something like that. Uh, I do remember um, being a little less confrontational in the sense where somebody would call you about your best player and you'd be like, Oh, let me think about it. You know, meanwhile, in your head, you're like, there's zero chance I'm moving this kid for, uh, uh, for that. Um, but uh, now it's a little bit, uh, I don't want to say a little bit more straightforward, but it is right. So you get a call, uh, about any of that or, or player signings or even unfortunately uh, cutting kids because that's the worst part of hockey I don't care nobody nobody likes it at any level uh, is cutting kids uh, now it's that money ball I remember watching Moneyball and Brad Pitt's like he just ripped the band-aid off so now it's that's kind of I remember that saying is that, that you know, it, it sucks but you you just straight to the point straight to the point do it with respect um, you know, do it in person. Uh, don't, you know, pick up a phone if you can, uh, you know, it's, uh, do everything in person, I guess in this day and age, even by zoom. So there's at least some sort of, uh, face-to-face -face communication. Uh, and that's just the right way. Right. I, I, we talk about the kids doing that too. It's like, don't text, right? Like you can text to set up a meeting, but nothing important should be said over text. Um, so no, it's, um, it, it's, uh, you, that, that, uh, I learned a lot of good lessons on that. Um, I remember making the, you know, my first kind of trade or, or, you know, acquiring a player. It's interesting, right? Because, you know, you didn't know what to do, right? So, okay, well, we got to get gear, right? So who am I telling? So now you, these are all little organizational items, right? Now we deal with it. We deal with billets. Like some of these kids got to make sure their schooling set up. So there, there is a, there is a process involved. And when you're green coming into it, uh, you, you, you don't think of that necessarily ahead of time. Now, now it's in your head, like the step-by-step. -step, so, but again, you got to cut your teeth and learn somehow. So that's, that's, that's all I did it anyway. Yeah. All great points there. And, um, you know, I find that anytime you're thrown into a position like that, it, it also helps the fact that maybe you don't have as much time to think about it. You kind of just have to get in there and start working and you kind of learn the role in that way. But, uh, you know, you're able to carry that success and, and, and keep working in the game. And Oakville is a team that you spent a number of years with in a few different roles. Just talk about maybe your time with Oakville overall and uh, also touch on the out of responsibility as a VP there for a little while. Yeah, no, okay. So when we went into, when I went into Oakville, uh, when I was offered that job uh, at the time, the, the team um, was having a couple down years. I think they missed the playoffs just recently. Um, I was working with Mike Daly there, who at the, at the time was the GM. And, and Mike and I knew each other through 
well, one, we're the same age, so we had mutual friends, but uh, we also worked together because at one point he was running the Oakville uh, U18 team and I was recruiting players off them. Uh, so that was going on. Uh, so he kind of helped with that. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of slowly built a program there. I, I think if you want to have any sustainable success in, in any organization, uh, it's t- you can't rush things. I mean, everybody's like, okay, we're going to be the best team next year, but you can't because you have to develop those guys within. And if you want to have the best, you know, 19 year old or 18 year old on your team, right? You have to develop him. And by that, you need to recruit him. You need to put him in a situation where he feels like he's improving and he's happy uh, and getting better. Uh, Because guess what? You're not going to be able to trade for him. Like, it's just not going to happen. Like who, who's going to trade, you know, I don't care who you are. Nobody's going to trade me their best 19 year old player uh, for, you know, for, for, for nothing really, or for whatever it is uh, with that Oakville team. That's, that was the process. I, I always kind of say that before I accept the, before I accept the job, I, I tell them our, our short, you know, at least my vision in terms of a short-term and long-term plan. And uh, the vision there was, I said, well, you know, we could speed it up a year or two give or take, but really we were, we were on plan. Like our, our goal was to be challenging for uh, the OJHL championship, basically in year four or five. Um, I, I knew that we had a great nucleus come year four. Uh, and, and, but then obviously year five, uh, we were, you know, that was the, that was the team, right. And all those kids, and I still keep in touch with a lot of those kids who year one, two, three, four, uh, that, you know, unfortunately did, weren't part of that championship team. But the first thing I tell them is they, they set up the culture, right? Like, uh, you know, unfortunately they didn't get the ring, but they're the ones that you know, paved the way because they were passing it down. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you have to, in my mind, you have to do it that way. And if you build that up and then, then you can kind of backfill a little bit with some players and, and, and things that you need uh, that maybe you know, for whatever reason, you're like, oh, we need it. We need a player who's going to, you know, play this style of game that we just don't have. But, um, uh, and if you do that and, and the kids feel like they're getting better and they're enjoying their time within the program and you're doing your side of it in terms of player promotion, either it's the OHL or NCAA or youth sports, um, you know, really everybody's living up to, to their responsibilities. And uh, I, I learned a lot of that in Oakville. I got to work with some good people there. Uh, Jordan Salinger came on uh, real early, who now we've worked together for six or seven years. Uh, uh, Cole Crane, who does our video again, same thing. Um, Mike Daly and I, now Mike's moved on. He's uh, uh, he's back doing the minor hockey thing, but still a good friend of mine. And, uh, you know, I, we've, we're going to continue to cross paths. And then Rob came up through that Oakville system, through the minor hockey side of it, and, and then worked in with us there. So uh, there, there's been a lot of good, you know, you, you take something from every year and from every experience. And like I said, you, 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 you make you make mistakes every year. Uh, I'll make mistakes this year. I'll make mistakes next year. And you just try to, uh, you know, learn from them and not repeat them. Yeah. Just learn something from every year and teams and people on the podcast have talked about that process of growing a team. And like you said, you want to have that, um, internal competition for a few years and really have guys pushing each other. And you do have that situation, unfortunately, where guys really put in the work for three or four years and are a key point in that team being successful in, in year five, but don't, uh, you know, actually be able to be on the ice. But that's the way uh, kind of the cycle goes um, in a successful team. And um, that's definitely something that you're able to take with you again in your next experience. And now you're in Collingwood. You know, your role as a general manager probably looks a little bit different this year, just with covid and everything that's influenced it so just talk about kind of dealing with that situation and for people who maybe are kind of wondering how things are going in hockey these days just talk about some of the things that you deal with on a you know daily to weekly basis oh wow yeah no that's uh, this year's been quite the uh quite the experience so obviously uh, we had our guys depend it all came down to color code right so when, when simco muskoka in September, our kids came up because we did have kids enrolled in school and up there it was uh, 
face-to-face -face education. So our kids came in, our players came in, um, and we were skating. And then it was waiting to see what, because nobody knew. Uh, you know, Hockey Canada, the government, um, you know, they, nobody really knew what was going to be allowed and what wasn't. Uh, and so it took about a month or so. Uh, and then they came down with this non-contact hockey and, and, and then it came down to whatever the regional health units would allow. So we had to deal with the town of Collingwood and, uh, and Simcoe Muskoka health unit, um, to see that. And then we got some games in against Lindsay and, and, and honestly, we had games scheduled, uh, after that. And, and then we got shut down in December, right? When, when the government shut it down, uh, I had a feeling and I, again, communication, as I mentioned, we, we kind of had a ton of Zoom meetings, uh, not just with the players, uh, but with their families and billets and really any stakeholder as well. Uh, we have a board up there that uh, we meet that I report to once uh, once a month, uh, you know, major stakeholders in the in the uh, in the community. Um, so we would have that. And, 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 and the question I get, so do you think we're going to play this year? And, and, you know, how do you answer that, right? Like, you know, my, my honest opinion, I, I, as I said, my opinion is we will we'll play some hockey, but how long and is there going to be a season? I, I don't know, right? So as it went on and as these meetings came on, you started to kind of figure out what was going to happen. And, uh, you know, now, and, and sort of the players and sort of the families. And, and so now, what you know, our goal is, and our, and our our, our players are, are going to be up there in a week and they're going to skate. Um, we do have some games still lined up to take us into April even. Uh, and it's just for the kids. So we can get them some game times. We get them on video. We send it out to, uh, you know, the OHL teams, the schools and, and, and so forth. And, you know, help them with some exposure. Uh, the way I look at it, it's better than uh, the alternative. And I believe it, it sets a good... Uh, tone for, you know, for the, for the team, for the organization on what we're willing to do for our players. It isn't fluff, like we're going to back it up. Uh, and as well as it does allow the other side of this is it allows our team to get better as a team, to get to know each other, right. To hang out because in this bubble, you're, you know, they were part of the their bubble. These kids could only hang out with each other. Right. So they really, it was like a, you guys better get along and get to know each other because that's that's all you're hanging out with right now. So, um, so there was those positive aspects, and and I saw I got to see from afar some growth between our players because we have players coming from everywhere up to Collingwood, and you know, a lot of them don't know each other. Maybe they've played against each other, uh, and some of them played against each other and didn't like each other, right? So, um, you know, it was a good opportunity for that. Uh, I do think it'll it'll serve us well going into next year. We also had a lot of players who who haven't billeted it before, right? And you know, moving out of your house and living in someone else's house, there's there's you know that's that takes some time to get used to. So um, you, they got to get all these experiences out of the way, uh, so they're a little bit more comfortable uh, coming back. Uh, the toughest part was obviously the the shutdown, the startup, the shutdown, the startup because. Uh, we, you know, these kids had to get COVID tests uh, because they're going to go live in someone else's house. And some of them were coming from Toronto or some of these areas that are a little bit more locked down into an area where, you know, there wasn't many cases. So we had to do our part as well. Yeah, a lot of different factors that, um, you know, people obviously see in media and from afar. But uh, until you're in that situation, like you said, some of these players, you know, still uh, fairly young and, and having to move to billet homes and, and, uh, you know, try to become acquainted with their teammates. It's uh, definitely a process and uh, it's a lot more going on than just what's on the ice. On the ice, the OJHL is a great league. And as you said, you're going to be trying to get some games in and give video to OHL teams and NCAA programs, kind of the route that you went. Being in the league here for a number of years, just talk about the play of the OJHL and why you feel it's a great level for players to work on their development and pursue that next level. Well, I think the league, I, I think the league's very good. I think it's a, uh, it's a deep league. Um, I think there's a lot of good teams and there's a lot of good coaches. Uh, that's the one thing in our league, uh, if anything, that maybe 
maybe uh, the league doesn't get as much credit as it should in, in terms of the coaching. Um, you know, we've had a lot of guys in our league that have moved on to be head coaches at the highest level, a higher level, uh, including, you know, Greg Walters with all Oshawa, John Dean with the Sioux, uh, James Richmond with Mississauga. Uh, these are all guys that I coached against and that were involved in the OJ. Uh, and I, I think that's one thing that kind of separates our league uh, in terms of that. A lot of the OHL does do a good job of uh, recruiting their their coaches from, well, I can say exclusively because that's not the case, but a lot of them come out of our league and that's just the head coaches I mentioned. There's a ton of assistants. Um, you know, Brandon Taylor, who I worked with uh, in Oakville, who was a spy assistant, is now in Mississauga. Garrett Rutledge is now in Saginaw. Uh, Lazary, Chris Lazary is head coach of Saginaw, was an assistant coach of St. Mike's and, and, and moved his way up. So there, there, there is that. Uh, obviously, our location with most teams being in the in the GTA and just the sheer number of players um, uh, does make it does make the teams competitive. Um, you know, it's just it's just location a little bit on that. And uh, I know you know there's things that the league does well, and, and there's things that we're looking to improve upon. Uh, in terms of that, uh, you know, I, I like to see the league throw have some more showcases um, for again, not for OHL and uh, NCAA. Like I'd love to see a, a 19, 20 year old game for for NCAA, and I'd love to see an undrafted 17 year old game or 16 to 18 year old game for the OHL. Right? Uh, I mean, just kind of saying those things, everybody would come out. Right? And you're doing your job again by by providing exposure opportunities for these kids. Uh, and that's really what, what that league's about is helping kids move on. Uh, you know, how many kids are gonna make a career at any league is, is very small, but, you know, being a positive part of their life and have them take skills and, uh, and learn and problem solve and, you know, look back. And I mean, that's the whole reason I'm involved in it now is because I had that experience growing up. Otherwise I wouldn't be you know, doing what I'm doing now. And uh, you know, a large part of my life is, is really <laughs> spent talking hockey. So and I love it. Don't get me wrong, but uh, it's because of those positive experiences. So uh, if I had to say anything, that's, the, that's the best thing about any, any league. And, uh, and uh, you know, at least at the junior level, and our league's no exception. Yeah. And you can see it. Uh, I'm from the outside looking in on that league. And one of the things that a lot of kids will do is, you know, go to NCAA and get their education and, and go through that route. And for you, your education uh, ultimately led to a position as a teacher, um, you know, with that background and kind of your uh, influence in hockey and your passion for hockey, how natural of a fit was it uh, to kind of work in teaching in the game in a coaching position? Yeah, I think it actually serves a, a really good uh, it really helps me uh, because there's a lot of things I learn in education that are very uh, helpful to coaching. Um, the simplistic way of answering it is in, in high, like I teach high school, I teach business and finance and accounting. I don't teach exciting stuff, um, but you're teaching a subject versus teaching a sport. And each of them have building blocks of, uh, of progressions in, in terms of to understand something and to really learn it and then be able to apply it. And, and there are a lot of uh, seminars and, you know, just be, being in teaching for a number of years, a lot of those relate to coaching. Um, so there, 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 there is some definite overlap. Uh, it, it's not exclusive by any means, uh, but uh but uh, there's definitely, I do take stuff that uh, even just simple conversations, because I'm teaching kids the same age that I'm coaching, uh, which people, some people think I'm crazy because I'm teaching teenagers and coaching teenagers, but we'll leave that for another day. Um, but uh, needless to say, uh, um, how just how to communicate with those teenagers is, uh, is, is a, let's say it's a skill, but it's something that you can improve on. Uh, that you can get better at and something that I think I've gotten better at, uh, at uh, over my years of, uh, of teaching and, and coaching. Um, yeah, it, it's, 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 a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of overlap in my opinion. And definitely overlap in those positions. And uh, a lot of times we'll see different education backgrounds kind of lead into the game. And sometimes it might just be a volunteer coaching role that turns into a passion, but 
for you, of course, coaching has, has been there for a while and you've been able to win different championships and, and have different successful teams. And, uh, you know, when you get to that moment, a lot of people have a hard time describing it. But for you, what's kind of the thoughts and, and feelings that go through your head when you eventually do win a championship like that? And um, just talk about some of your experiences being able to do with, uh, you know, teenagers in, in that situation. First, uh, the first championship I won with the reps in, in, uh, in, uh, 2010, uh, or yeah, with the, with that. So the, I remember when we won the, the GTHL, it was like, like, again, it was younger. So I was like at 27 or so at the time, 26, uh, you were nervous. And then I remember in the OHL, the, the OHL, the OHF, um, we played, uh, the Sioux in the semifinals and, we had a good team and we all played them pretty good, but they had, a, I can't remember the goalie. I wish I could. Uh, they had a hot goalie and this goalie, I think we put on, I think we were 60 plus shots in the 60 minute hockey game. And it was one, one, we went to overtime, right? It's a one shot game. So I remember being super nervous, uh, in that there uh, i remember talking to some of the parents uh, at the team there they, they left a couple of the moms told me after like i couldn't even watch because they were so nervous because you were you were favorite to win um but yeah but you know you still gotta win the game right you still gotta play you still gotta win so we won that game in overtime that was my first kind of uh real real like excitement um and then the Telus Cup, I remember pacing. You know, I talked to, I'd go into the room, talk to the boys, you know, trying to pretend like it's all calm and cool. But then after that, I'm pacing the hallways back and forth, like talking to myself and and almost like you were playing, uh, but but you weren't. Uh, and that, and then we played the, the, it was in Quebec, and we played the Quebec team. Those Quebec uh, U18 midget teams are, are very good. Um, and again, we won. In overtime and uh, we were down on five on three in, in overtime and we killed it off and then we came out of the box and uh, anyway it, it was pretty it was pretty uh pretty fun um the most recent one patriots was really fun too but that one's uh the most recent one with oakville obviously growing up and playing for the team uh and having a large amount of uh my own personal hockey development through that Oakville Rangers, Oakville Blades system. That one was special. Uh, and uh, I think I think I really learned how hard it was to win those. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to, to win a few, but I mean, you start realizing like, so yeah, the, the early one when you win the first time, unless, especially if it's like, I kind of, it happened a little quickly for me. Um, and, I don't know if I appreciated it as much. And as you go through it now, you start to realize the, the those teams and those championships, they're they're not, it's not easy to win. It's not easy to win a province, right? Like especially Ontario. There's a lot of good hockey teams there. Um, so with that Oakville Blades team in Wellington, uh, that was just those group of kids were were exceptional. Um we went up to Cochrane for the for the Dudley Hewitt, which is the Ontario championship. And we, Ryan O'Hara made it one nothing uh, partway through the second. And it was one nothing till about two minutes left in the game. And we played Hurst. And, uh, you know, most people down down south in the GTA don't know much about the northern teams uh, unless you've played them. But they were, they were a good hockey team. They're very well coached. Um, and, uh, and it was a packed crowd, you know, 1,500 people in a small barn. And, and I'm telling you, they're yelling at you. They're screaming like, you know, it's, it was a little bit like, you know, old school kind of, uh, uh, I remember walking through, cause you had to walk through them, right. To, to get to, you know, even if I wanted to go to the room or the washrooms, I had to walk through basically. And, and they're, they're basically staring you down. Like we're going to beat you. And, uh, you're like, okay, well, we'll, we'll find out about that. But, um, again, we had to kill a penalty the last two minutes, right? Of course, right. This is like, we can't write this stuff. And, uh, uh, Nicholas Aromatario scored an, an empty net goal and, and, and Romo wasn't a, a big score goal scorer by any means. Uh, he won't want me to say that on, on, on this podcast, but you know, he probably agree, but, uh, you know, he buried one in an empty net and uh, our bench just went went crazy because again, you know, it was a two nothing game with a minute left and, and a guy who normally 
uh, didn't uh, put the puck in the back in there. It got one for us. So it was, it was awesome. Um, and uh, on the other side of it, in the, in the Nationals there, we played uh, Prince George, who was an excellent hockey club. Uh, we ended up losing that semifinal 2-1. But in the third period, we outshot them 18-6. to And we had chances. We just couldn't score. They had a good goalie. Uh, the Logan Neaton kid ended up getting drafted in the NHL. And he made some timely saves. And, you know, you look back on it and you're like, what if I would have done this? What if we did this? What if we adjusted here right so those are those split second decisions and that one's fresh enough because it happened in 2018 even though it's 2021 it's still fresh believe it or not um that you still you still think back to the stuff that you could have done or you didn't do right this is that you know those in game if you had another crack at it what would you do right and it's easy because you know we lost the game so in my mind uh i'm like if we would have done two or three things different Maybe we won two one, right? So it's a, uh, it's uh, you know that's that's two sides of it there. The you know the sweetness of victory and the agony of defeat. Yeah, it's uh, it really is a um, you know a lot of highs and a lot of lows, but uh, you know that's part of the game. And I think it's uh, it makes the victories that much sweeter when you go through adversity and um, mm-hmm. when you do eventually win and you go through adversity again. It just makes you hungry to get back to that position. And without looking at the past and now looking forward. Uh, I know you talked about some different situations where um, you didn't want to make the sacrifice and, and were able to make it work in junior A and, and different things like that. But maybe looking five, 10 years down the road, um, where do you see yourself in the game? Is it in the OJHL or at that point, um, do you see yourself taking another passion? Yeah, it's, you know what? That's a good question. I, I think five, uh, five, 10 years down the road, uh, it, it, it could be something different. Um, you know, any decision I make now with regards to really anything in my life, it's, it's going to be, um, what's best for, for my kids and, and, and my family. Uh, not that, not that hockey wouldn't do that, but, um, you just, you know, when you have young children, uh, last thing I want to do is start up uprooting them and moving them around. And, uh, you know, that, not that there's anything wrong with that. That's just my own personal belief, uh, uh, there so but you know five ten years down the road i think five might be a little quick but uh, as we above five closer to ten yeah who knows i'm open to anything i I definitely i definitely think there will be some new challenges and new opportunities hopefully um that i would be interested in and that, that that i might be willing to take a chance at so i know um you know i i know coaches who have who've done the same thing there and yeah it's it's crossed my mind for sure yeah it really is tough difficult to uh to kind of gauge what's going to be available and um where you might be in five ten years uh i i hope that we're out of the covid lockdowns that we're dealing with <laughs> now but um it's definitely again difficult just to kind of read that and a lot of those opportunities might come from connections that you make in the future and the people at my hockey resource think the same way they're a community on discord and they look to join people from all levels of the game uh, pro video coaches, scouts, analytics people, head coaches, managers, you name it, they're all on there. And um, a lot of times just looking to share different ideas and, and make new connections. So for anybody looking to get involved, check out My Hockey Resource on Twitter and Instagram. One of the things that they talk about on that platform is resources and, and things that help you uh, learn about the game, maybe outside of the immediate rink, and it could be podcasts, books, etc. cetera. Uh, Mike, for you, what are some of your favorite things in this area? And uh, do you have any personal favors that you can share with listeners uh, who may be looking for more information on the game? So the, my favorite book from uh, coaching is John Wooden, uh, The Pyramid of Success. Um, so that uh, the John Wooden book is, and for those of you not familiar with John Wooden, uh, he was a coach, at U, basketball coach at UCLA. He won, I think it was 11 national championships in 13 years. And, and when he left, they, they've never won one since. Um, so, uh, he, he was all about culture and, and, and culture and accountability and communication and all those things that encompass, uh, that overall team dynamic. And so there is some really good stuff there and, and why it was called the, the pyramid of success is that it was almost like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs 
where you had to have, you know, players trust and communication and respect. And, and as you moved up, as you earned those, you started to be able to, to build and collaboration and sacrifice for different tiers. Um, and really it just made sense uh, to me because honestly, nobody's going to sacrifice anything for the team if they don't trust anybody, right. Or if they don't respect anybody. Uh, and well, how do you build all that? So, um, so it really, it was pretty simplistic in the sense of building, but I really liked how he diagrammed it and how he communicated it. So that, that's one of the books that, uh, that, that stuck with me. There's other ones that I've read for, for more enjoyment and, you know, just really to get a backstory on, but one that, that one, I, I, I really apply, um, or at least try to apply, uh, in, in terms of other, uh, other stuff. I mean, you can find information anywhere. Like I, I unfortunately, I don't watch hockey now to, uh, to enjoy it. I watch it and I break it down. I mean, it's a blessing and a curse all at the same time, right? Uh, where, you know, you watch an NHL game and you, you pick apart what one team's doing to the other team. You try and steal some stuff and then you, you end up, sometimes you show those clips to your guys. If a, if a player makes a mistake, and, and you can almost do it side by side where you're like, this guy's making $3 million a year and he just made the same mistake as you. So don't be so hard on yourself and let's work on that. Right. Um, so, and then pros and cons of this um, really, really big on teaching using video uh, because I don't know if there's a better tool than seeing yourself. I, I think it's a million times better than the diagram on the chalk on the on the whiteboard because players it's tough for players to visualize that. But when they can see it, most most uh, most people are are visual learners, right? Uh, they visualize it, visual, and then they do it kinesthetic. So th those type of learners, it's so tough to just hear stuff and be able to conceptualize it and and then apply it. Uh, so that's where the video side comes in. And uh, so one of the best comments, or I kind of laugh because there's a couple players now after doing the video and breaking it down, they've, they've literally, they, I literally get a text message during games. They'd be like, you're watching the Leaf game. Do you see that? I can't, you know, what does he do? You know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. Like I literally tell them like, it's the same thing. It's the same mistakes. It's some of the systems are the same, all this stuff. Uh, and now a couple of the players are like, I can't, well, I, you, you know, I can't watch a game because they start doing the same thing that I'm doing. And I'm like, I am sorry. I don't know what to tell you. Right? Uh, I feel yeah. bad, but now, uh, you know, now in saying that I know nothing about basketball. I really enjoy watching the, the, the Raptors play because I, I just love the grit they play with and the teamwork. You can tell that they have a great culture. Uh, and uh, and how they battle for each other because every year they keep losing their most talented players or some of them and they keep winning, right? So it, you know that it just shows you the power of uh, of that that team and that culture and that uh, everybody has a role and responsibility. You could just see that those those that group of players sacrifice for each other. So uh, I get to enjoy basketball on that because I have no idea what they're doing. So it's great. Yeah, it's always good to have a, a, an outlet for uh, just the enjoyment of sport. And um, I kind of referenced the same thing when I worked as athletes and, uh, you know, just the way they break down the game and it kind of ruined the way that I watch hockey and, and it took the uh, the fandom out of it. But um, definitely video is, is a great resource. And um, I also like the fact that, you know, you can learn about culture through the Raptors, but also that book um, being from a different sport and from a different coach was still um, able to bring it back into the game of hockey and, uh, that's, I think, the, the key thing in a, in a resource that it's not specific to one thing or the other, but it kind of covers a broad area of topics. And, um, you know, moving forward with another uh, reflective question, you know, you've been in a number of positions here in the last couple of years. And like you said, you've met a lot of great people on the way. Who are some of the mentors maybe who kind of helped you through, especially where you were coming through as a younger coach and um, maybe just touch on the, the lessons that they taught you collectively? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, Wayne Wilson, who was my head coach at RIT, was was my first hockey coach mentor. And I say that by because that was the time I wanted to get into coaching. I thought he was a good coach. I thought he was a you know so called players coach, communicated well uh, with with the players. Um, 
and uh, really just a good person overall. Um, as it's gone on there, it, I don't know if I've had mentors per se, but I've had people that, uh, and, and they come and go, right? Because people move on. But I, I remember having some you know, some great conversations and debates even, right? Sometimes these things get a little heated, right? Because, you know, not heated in a bad way, but just more fun. Um, where we'd have, I'd have conversations with Jason Fortune when we are working together and Forge is coaching down in uh, Odessa right now. And he's, he's coaching you know, major junior in Ontario and in BC. Now he's in Texas. Um, and, and, you know, we'd have some conversations that, and then after some games in the, uh, in the OJ, in the OJ, uh, again, coaching against Greg Walters at the time, Georgetown and Oakville were, were head to head rivals. And Georgetown at that time, you know, was a little bit ahead of us. So, you know, sometimes we meet up in the, in the bar and we, we kind of chat about it. And I remember a couple, there was a point, maybe a year, year and a half, one of us would lose. We go back and watch the, the video. And we text, right? We text each other. And be like, oh, you, you know, give the guy the gears and a nice job. You're not going to, I'm not going to let that happen again or something like that. Right. Um, as it got on, uh, John Dean's another one uh, that we chat, and again Mike Daly, who who worked with myself, but then worked with Dean over in the Patriots. Um, so there, there's that. So I, again, I don't know if any of them would be considered mentors because uh, some some of these guys you still talk to them once in a while uh, when you see them, uh, but at the same time. Um, uh, you, you definitely, as I go back to just stealing stuff, right? So stealing stuff from them and, you know, having a little bit of fun with it. And when, you know, when, when you, when you get something by them, but then, you know, being a little pissed off when they, they get something uh, by you there. So there's a lot of coaches in the league now that I, that I talk to. Uh, as well about stuff like that uh, on different OJ teams. And uh, I, I think it's, I think it's fun. I think there's a, a mutual respect there between, you know, just, the amount of work that everybody puts in for their own club to uh, to get better, um, and uh, yeah, no, that that that's kind of it um, in terms of that. And, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I think one of the things that we get a lot of times when we ask that question is, of course, mentors. But a lot of times, it is that peer to peer interaction that really mm. uh, kind of elevates people in the same way, and uh, maybe in a league especially in junior where there are a number of different people going and a lot of younger coaches uh you kind of see people learning more and more in that kind of um you know development system and as a final question here maybe looking back in time when you were just getting into coaching or maybe a player who's looking to make that transition into coaching now what's one piece of advice that you would give them in hopes that they would be successful in coaching and hockey operations so starting out uh, with coaching is just get involved. Um, if you can find someone or find an organization where you can get involved and at least uh, get your feet wet, right? It doesn't need to be, you know, it doesn't need to be an NHL team or, a Toronto or an OHL team, but somewhere where you can gain some experience. And, and as you've mentioned already, a lot of it is networking. And, and working hard like if you count the amount of hours that you devote to hockey or to your passion and even yourself here right like it, it's not about the money right like no nobody nobody's uh you know you could uh it's never about that so um with me i got i was fortunate enough to get the ncaa double uh opportunity and then the junior opportunity from that but i know lots of uh uh, people, including like Rob and Jordan, for example, uh, Rob Bentevino, who's our head coach, he didn't play above uh, above junior, and then he went into skills and then worked his way up, right? So it, it's not all about how high you played. Uh, Jordan, same thing. Uh, he did a, a, an internship with uh, North Bay when he was at school, uh, uh, Laurentian, and then. And then he came down and, and started with us kind of like as a volunteer basis and worked his way up. Right. So uh, it, it's all about getting your foot in the door. That is probably the toughest part, toughest thing to do. But if you're, if you're networking and you're putting yourself in those positions where you can meet people, it's no different than any other job, to be honest with you. Uh, 
those doors, there tends to be a lot more doors that, uh, that open up for you. Yeah, a tremendous point there. And, and the importance of networking and then doing the work when you eventually get those opportunities, I think is a really key point and um, a great piece of advice. So Mike, with that, we were able to go through your career here and talk about a number of opportunities. And I just want to thank you again for joining me. And I'm sure um, here soon enough, we'll be back to playing hockey. And when that happens, I wish you all the best moving forward. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. All right. Take care. I'd like to thank Mike for coming on the podcast and sharing both his expertise and his career learnings with us all. Mike has also introduced the family element to the hockey industry in this conversation, so for highlighting that important aspect, I would like to thank him once again. If you would like to get in touch with Mike to learn about his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly, or you can contact HockeyMindsPodcast at Outlook.com, and I can help make that connection for you. Next on the podcast, I'll be joined by Alex Cousineau, assistant coach and video coach with Val Dor of the QMJHL. A young coach in the game, Alex has compiled a resume with a number of unique experiences, seeing time as a goalie coach, video coach, and assistant coach in minor, junior, and even university hockey. His path is one that is unique in nature, so I advise you to listen into to that interview on this upcoming Sunday. Thanks again to everyone for listening to the podcast and for your support from day one. If you have enjoyed the podcast to date, be sure to like, share, and subscribe on your favorite platforms so that we can further the reach and share the stories of those in hockey operations. As always, stay safe and all the best.